0: Good morning. It's, it's good to worship with you this morning and a chance to look at God's Word together. Uh, this is the season of Advent. Uh, Advent is the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. It's a season inviting us to prepare and leading us to consider again that God has drawn near to us in Christ and promises to come again to make all things right. And so this is a time for us to give special attention to God's presence in Jesus, and we're going to look as part of that uh, at Matthew chapter 1, and we hear about the birth of Jesus through the Gospel of Matthew. And he starts by saying, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. It's like Matthew saying, let me tell you how it happened. This is what happened. And what we'll notice, maybe if you're familiar with the other Gospels, that in, Ma- in Matthew's account, it's seen through the eyes of Joseph, while Luke's account was through the eyes of Mary. And you can notice that why the, the central event is the same in both of them, that we can see in Luke, Luke tells of Mary, a surprised Galilean girl, learning that she is to give birth to God's Messiah. But Matthew is this different than that. Matthew doesn't show us the surprised young girl, but Matthew shows us a more somber Joseph. Somber and burdened. Because he has discovered that his fiance is pregnant, and he knows that he is not the father. And so maybe we are familiar with the story, but this morning I want us to see and to feel that the birth of Jesus happened in this way, in a way marked with confusion, with scandal, with judgment, in a way that led Joseph to to, the speak to Joseph about his fear. A couple weeks ago we mentioned advent was a time to be giving witness to the light but honest about the darkness and this morning we have a chance to be witnesses to faith but still be honest about fear and that there's much in life in our past our present our future that might move us or fill us with fear but here we hear the angels say do not be afraid and it's words not just for joseph but they're words for you and for me so let's look at our passage from Matthew 1, verse 18 through 25. You can follow in your order of worship, or your Bible, as I read. <clears throat> now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. <clears throat> when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's word given for us. Let's pray. Courtney, thank you for the time that you've gathered us here and we've us to hear your word that you'd be with us, that you may move us by your Spirit to come and to exchange fear for hope, to find faith in the midst of <clears throat> different demands. Lord, we ask that you would be present by your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there's three parts to the sermon this morning. I want us to look at three different things. First, I want us to explore or kind of enter into Mary and Joseph's experience. And second, to ask why has God acted in this way in Jesus' birth, and to ask how it's good news for you and for me. So let's start by exploring the experience of Joseph and Mary. As I mentioned in the beginning, Joseph is burdened, he is upset. We can imagine this, we can understand this, right? The plan that he has for how his life is going to unfold has been severely interrupted, Most scholars place Joseph at somewhere between 18 and 20 years old. And in his cultural setting, he has had the responsibilities of manhood since he's 13. He's arrived at the point of being betrothed, of forming his own family. We don't know how long Joseph and Mary have been engaged and betrothed, but in that setting, it was normal for about a year that one was engaged. And during that year of engagement and following God's law, it was expected that they would refrain from sexual intercourse. But suddenly, Joseph's plans are disrupted. Mary is expecting a child. Again, whether we're familiar with the story or not, let's take a moment to enter into his situation. He has little reason to trust Mary's innocence or explanation. A virgin birth has never happened before. Mary isn't claiming assault or abuse. And Joseph knows that he has not been with her. So what is he to do? In a social setting, in a time that was ready to tell Mary what was wrong with her and to shame her, Joseph might have found some sense of relief in exposing his fiancée to social judgment. But Matthew tells us that Joseph decides to step away from Mary quietly. Now it's meaningful that Joseph seeks things to be quiet, but it also means he does not believe her. He does not believe Mary. Many of you know the pain of not being heard, not being believed, or being dismissed. See, Joseph's story is connected to Mary's. We're reminded of a world that is quick to judge, one that even delights in putting others in their place, a world especially happy to tell women who they are or they're not. And all those who hear Mary's situation, including Joseph, are prepared to leave her. So Joseph plans to divorce Mary, to legally end the betrothal, because he assumes that she is guilty of unfaithfulness. Suddenly he faces his plans being broken in a deep and painful way as he's giving serious thought to these things, as he's trying to get his hands around how his life and plans have been interrupted. Look, behold, Matthew says, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And here we arrive at a point of both stories, Mary's story and Joseph's. They overlap. The angel tells Joseph, As Gabriel told Mary, do not be afraid. Trust. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, the angel explains. What has been brought to life in her happened by the Holy Spirit. Now it's interesting that the language the angel uses, language explains the presence of a child in Mary's womb is the same language that's used in Genesis to speak of the creation of all things. The Spirit of God is the genesis of all creation, all that's seen and unseen, and so it's the same Spirit that's bringing forth Jesus, that is the generous of Jesus. Along with explaining how Mary now carries a child, the presence and action of the Spirit stresses God's power to do and to accomplish what humans cannot. The virgin conception. What what is at the heart of this action of God? The virgin conception makes clear that what is happening in Jesus and Christmas is not from humans, but from God. Do not be afraid. As we enter into that scene, we can ask, how do we find our hope in the midst of our fears? How do you gain a sense of clarity or direction when others threaten or dismiss you? How do you have a sense of who you are or what the next steps are when your plans are disrupted? You see, the presence of this child, the Holy Spirit's work, is hope in the face of fear. It is direction in the face of judgment or disruption. And it is hope based not in your strength or mine or our preparation, but is in the faithful actions of our God. That is the source of our hope. The pathway through fear is the actions of God, not our strength. So the angel says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The child Mary carries from the hope is from the Holy Spirit. And this child is the hope of all the earth. And as we enter into the emotions of the story, we, we can see God's actions taking shape under the apparent violation of an engagement. And I want to ask why. In Galilee, Mary's pregnancy was a source of shame and humiliation for her and Joseph. And so the second part for us to consider after entering into the scene is to ask, why does the gospel begin on such a scandalous note? Why does God choose this way? The stories of Jesus' birth are surprising. God calls a young couple, as I mentioned, Joseph was probably 18 or 20, Mary likely 13 to 15 years old. A young couple who lived in relative poverty in a small, insignificant, look-down-upon town. It's surprising that God calls them to participate in the birth of his son, a man and woman who are not influential, not powerful, not noble according to worldly standards. It's surprising, but it's not sufficient for us to say it's simply surprising. We're invited to feel the scandal of this scene. Mary has turned up pregnant before the wedding. And Joseph knows that he isn't the father. Many years after Jesus' birth, 30-some years, and he's a grown man, we hear in the Gospel of John, some who are having an argument with Jesus, questioning him, and as a way to attack him, as a way to invalidate what he's saying or to reject the idea of his ministry, they say to Jesus, we, at least we, were not born in sexual immorality. Here it is, many, many years later. The echo of a taunt that was put upon Mary. The echo of shame that was put upon Joseph. Now spoken to Jesus, at least we haven't been born in immorality. Why should we listen to you, Jesus? We know the story of your mom. Think for a moment about this. The Savior of the world, the one we call the Son of God, is being mocked as a grown man over his birth. If there's anything that you hear this morning, you think about Jesus entering into your humanity. He even goes to the place of being called names. We know about this, right? From the playground to our political discourses. When you don't know what to say, you can call someone a name. Jesus knows the pain of being mocked and being spoken of that way. We know what that's, right? We, many people are happy to remember neighbors, family, friends, happy to suggest, call names, to seek to silence by suggesting or implying maybe you know what that's like Jesus certainly does when the Holy Spirit brings Jesus into history much that good people, acceptable people think proper is seemingly contradicted Matthew's gospel account opens with an embarrassing pregnancy and it builds to an embarrassing crucifixion Jesus the one who was mocked for his birth is rejected and punished as a criminal in his death And this tells us that God's ways are not our ways and that God's righteousness is not our righteousness. According to that John passage in which Jesus is mocked for his birth, those who delighted in mocking him, those who judged him or rejected him, those who evoked the shame that was put on Mary, they are the scribes and the Pharisees. What we need to know about them is that they are the religious the strong the pure according to the traditions and the law and they are the ones who offer their judgment it is these very strong ones who cannot see when god is arriving and this is a challenge for you and for me thinking about this when we we will always miss god we will always miss god's arrival if we seek to stand in our strength and stand in our judgments the sinful nature that's at work in all of us is ready to stand up and judge others, ready to stand up and pride or find its footing by being above or different than others. And whenever we give in to that, we are moving away from who God has made us to be. We're moving away from seeing God. So we can ask, why does God come in this way? Why does God bring forth Jesus in such a surprising and scandalous manner? 1 Corinthians reminds us that God uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong, and God uses the foolish things of the world to bring low the proud. In the birth of his son, God invites the strong of the world to step forward. He exposes those who are ready to offer their judgments and their pride to expose them. If you want to stand on your own, God says, then you are not ready to receive me when I come. In his birth, God makes clear he's come not for the so-called well, but the sick, not for the self-determined righteous, but the sinner. God draws near to the brokenhearted. God lifts up the humble and forgotten, but brings low the proud, and therefore it's saying in his birth that our hope, especially in the face of fear and disruption and others mistreating us, our hope rests in the strength of God, not in finding footing that belongs to us, but footing that God himself will give. So we've looked at Joseph and Mary's experience and asked why. The last and final part is I want to ask, how is this good news for you and for me? Why is God's birth in this manner good news? Do not be afraid. Joseph the angel makes a startling claim. You call him Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. Matthew goes on. All this happened so that the words spoken by the Lord through his prophet Isaiah would be fulfilled. Look, the virgin will be expecting a baby, and she will give birth to a son, and people will give him the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The good news of the birth of Jesus is expressed in these two names, Jesus and Emmanuel. It made me think to ask, do you, do you know the meaning of your name? Do you know the meaning of your name? I want to share with you the meaning of my name. Chad means brave or warlike one. And Lewis, it gets even better. Lewis means loudest in battle. I think I take that to mean loudest in bravery, not loudest in like crying or things like that, but loudest in battle. So basically my names tell you not to mess with me. Just, just remember that. But the Bible, you know, our names are important for all of us. Especially the Bible, names have meanings that tell you this is what's happening. And here Mary, was have, the virgin, will have a baby boy. And his name will be Jesus, Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. Jesus being in the Hebrew the same. Joshua was a common name of the day. Joshua was the one called by God to lead the people into the promised land after Moses had died, and now Matthew is saying, "Look, Jesus is the one who will fulfill and complete what Joseph, what Joshua, and Moses pointed towards, but they could not produce it themselves. They could only point. But Jesus will bring it, and it is freedom. Freedom." He will rescue his people not from slavery in Egypt, but from the sin that has burdened them and weighed them down. The sin that has separated us from God and from others and from even ourselves. You see, what is this promise, this freedom? It is a new future and a new identity. A future not simply as the sum of our failures or our brokenness or how others have acted against us, but a future as a gracious gift from God. An identity not rooted in the opinion or judgments of others, or even rooted in our own self-affirmation. Beyond that, it's an identity rooted in God acting for you in Jesus. The prophet Isaiah offers so many beautiful images, and in one of those images, God speaks to his people who are in the midst of their great suffering. Israel was suffering. They were feeling the consequences of their failures. In them and around them, they were struggling. And not only that but their neighbors were acting against them in violent and hurtful ways. The scripture described it was like they were in the wilderness, a wasteland. This banner behind is a pointer to that that all the trees had been chopped down, it was just an emptiness. No no shelter being exposed to your sin and to the sin of others. And in the midst of that, God says through his prophet, "Do not fear. Do not be afraid." I will put in the wilderness the cedar tree, the myrtle and the olive tree. In the desert I will set a cypress, and I myself, the Lord, will do this. I know we live in an urban place, but I hope you can feel the image that in the wasteland, in the barrenness, God will plant trees of life and shelter. The cedar symbolizes strength, The myrtle, love and marriage. The cypress was a a cemetery tree that spoke of mourning, but also the hope of resurrection. The olive, a symbol of peace and friendship that God is saying that a new future and a new identity is coming in my hands. In your wastelands, in your heart and in this world, I will plant strength and love and hope and peace. And the way that God will bring that salvation is that he will draw near to us You see, the two names together tell us the gospel that God rescues by drawing near. Jesus, Yahweh, saves by Emmanuel. God draws near to be with us. They speak hope to you and me. I don't know where you are today and how such words of hope strike you. The biblical witness gives witness to both times of joy and of sorrow. The book of Ecclesiastes, a very modern feeling book, speaks about how one can receive all the pleasures of the world, yet not be satisfied. And in that book, it concludes that nothing is new. And the human heart that's aching and longing, it's a book that looks at that longing and says nothing moves. Nothing's new. Human history, human life is the same thing over and over again. Rebellion, hurt, selfishness, addiction, violence, death. Ecclesiastes invites us to feel that. At the center of our passage this morning of Mary and Joseph, it is not the center is not their actions. It's not what they've done to bring this about. The center is the Holy Spirit. And something has moved, the Word says. The witness to the light, the witness to faith says that something has moved. It's not humans, not you and I moving, it is God moving. And here's the announcement. God is with us, Emmanuel. Jesus taking on our depths, entering into the human experience. God accepting the ultimate vulnerability born as an infant to humiliated and poor parents in a world hostile to his presence. In a world nothing is new, nothing is moved, but yet God says to you and me, we are not abandoned. The power that created the universe with a word, the power that has the ability to, to judge the world with a word, speaks for us in Christ. In the face of mistreatment, in the face of mockery, even in the face of our own sin, giving us new identities, new identities and new future, calling us sons and daughters in Christ. Sons and daughters set free from condemnation, sons and daughters adopted and named in God, sons and daughters restored around the table of the Lord. Do not fear. Do not be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary as your wife. When God reveals the truth to Joseph, he believes and he obeys God, unbelievably as the truth, unbelievable as the truth would seem, he follows the courage and faith of Mary, his soon-to-be wife. Those outside the revelation will assume that Joseph got Mary pregnant before the wedding, and as a result, he will be the object of shame in a society dominated by honor. His reputation and his family's honor will be damaged. But God's actions offer a new future and a new identity. Apart from our record, apart from the reputation that we can build among others, apart from the opinion of others, That God's action frees us to walk in faith, not fear. This passage is a wonder of God's action for us. It's also a call for us to walk in steadfast faith, even in the face of fear and difficulty to trust and follow Emmanuel. If you're like me, we know it's not easy to walk in such faith. Maturing Christians means making sacrifices, delaying gratification, setting the needs of others ahead of your own, trusting God instead of the temptations that are right at hand, trusting God even in the disruption of your plans. But our passage invites us in the midst of such fear and uncertainty to trust, to find our hope and future and our identity in Christ, the one who has seen you, sees you, loves you, forgives, and promises that he will be with you now and always. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are, that you have come to be with us, that you did not stand and keep your distance even in the midst of our sin and sorrow, but took on shame yourself to go to the very depths of our need. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.